Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. So do you ever have one of those days where it's going just perfect, just the way you want it to go, and then it gets a little off track, and then it begins to tumble and turn and come crashing down. And you spend the rest of the afternoon figuring out, this is not what I had planned. Well, we call that in my house yesterday. Little bike accident, I'm gonna be fine, have my arm in a sling. So there's where we start our day to day. So I am full of caffeine and ibuprofen. So better ministry through chemistry, I always say. And uh, well, without further ado, we'll see if I can preach just as well with one hand as with two. So in our text today, you see there in the bulletin, it is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. It's 21 verses of scripture, and I want to include all of that for you to sort of look at, but I really want to drill in on verses 14 through 21. But in the gist of the text, what is happening is Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, is having a conversation with Jesus about what matters most about how one really understands God's love and what is really Jesus's ministry. So as we pick up in verse 14, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Then he says words that are very familiar to many of us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, you may remember that that text appears oftentimes in the end zone of football games with a guy holding up a sign that says John 3.16, wearing some sort of a rainbow wig, sending people to figure it out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, we bask in the light of your love. O Lord, we realize the gift that we have been given, that you have come into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So while we are gathered in worship, in this room and through the wonders of the internet, gathered together in community, 
Let your word speak intently to our hearts so that we would know the depth of your love for us, so that we might go forth and share that love with the world, not just as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. Your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So Mary Ann Williams, an author, a political activist, a religious teacher, she tells a story of her early life. She refers to her 20s as a lost decade, sort of pursuing everything that was wrong for her and for her life. And thus it was one day after having this long conversation with her brother that she realized that she was on a dead-end road to nowhere. And that she realized she needed more than just a new relationship, more than just a new job, more than just a new location in life. What she really needed was a total makeover. She needed a new life. And so in the midst of this conversation, this realization, this awakening in her heart, she found herself driven to her knees by the failures of her life. And she writes that it was almost as if in her ears, her heart, her soul, that she swore she heard God say to her, can we begin now? And that's when her life began to change. Her experience is an echoing of God's teachings to Nicodemus in its own right. See, God desires this close personal relationship with the world, with you and with me. God desires this for us. And so this relationship is found in this completely founded on love. And so as we read in verse, three, in verse 16, this love is perfect. It is complete. It is given without any reservation to the entire world. And thus, when we understand this on a human level, on our very own level, about ourselves, then our lives cannot help but be changed. As if we also hear those words where God says to us, can we begin now? This beginning of a revolution, this beginning of a transition, this beginning of a new relationship with God who loves us. I mean, we know that when we come to worship, we come to see God, we come to realize our brokenness and receive the gift of grace and forgiveness. And we know that we're sent forth in the world. And the message that we're called to share is this message of the totality of God's love. We share it by our words, our deeds, our actions, by our very being. And so we know that we are to go and to tell everyone, the world, if you will, of God's love for it, of this gift of grace and forgiveness. That no matter what you have done, it's as if God says our lives can be wiped clean once we have exposed the dirtiness and the darkness of our sins. When the light of God's love casts upon it, they are seen, but they are forgiven. And we're given this chance to live in the light and to start something new. And so we're to go to tell everyone so that they may receive it themselves and enter into that personal relationship that God wants with each of us. See, Jesus tells Nicodemus what God desires most 
is that idea of a perfect relationship, a personal relationship. See, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dark because, not because he was late. He came in the dark because he didn't want to be seen. He was a Pharisee, one of the teachers of the law, but he was beginning to have questions in his mind. And so he came to Jesus and says, what's going on? What matters most? And Jesus says, love is what matters most. And so the same is true for us. When we begin to realize this personal relationship, this love of God that is poured out over us, we begin to realize it's a source of strength and confidence for us. I think what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39, hear with me these words. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And this is what I love. I love this emphatic, no. In all things, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ who loved us. We're sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when we begin to take a hold of that personal relationship, we realize that nothing can stop us, that God's love is behind us every step of the way. It gives us strength to face anything that comes our way any uncertainty about work or about our jobs, a tough conversation that we've got to have with friends or family or with a coworker, a troubling diagnosis that we receive from the doctor, fear of failure or any fear whatsoever, none of those things matter because we have God's love to back us up and give us strength because we know that we don't walk alone from that time forward. So when we begin to understand this personal relationship, then we begin to realize that not only do we have to own it in our hearts and do we celebrate it, but that we should want to tell everyone about it. So some years ago when I was sitting in a trustees meeting, the conversation came up about the high windows of the sanctuary, how they were dirty and how there was some pressure washing that needed to be done. And someone said, well, we just need to get someone to do that. But Joe doesn't climb ladders. She was our facilities manager and she didn't do ladders. I learned that day one, she just emphatically told me, she said, you just need to know I don't do ladders. She repeated it three other times in the same conversation, and I finally stopped her and said, Joe, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm just guessing you don't do ladders. That was a running joke with us from that point on. But we talked about this, and we said, I, what, what should we do? Someone said, I know a guy. Now, this is my favorite sentence in any church, because if you say something like, I need someone to do such and such, I know a guy. So, for example, when I came in today with my arm in a sling, someone says, do you know an orthopedic surgeon? I do. Eddie Pollock will talk later today. But anyway, I know a guy. And so someone says, I know this young man. He's just getting started in business. His name is Chip. He's trying to figure out. He wants to pressure wash houses and clean the windows. He does fabulous work. So we called Chip. Chip shows up in a ramshackle truck overloaded with ladders. I mean, it was a road hazard. He is the hardest working young man I've ever seen. And he cleaned the entire church. It never looked any better. The windows were crystal clear. People were like, man, who did that? I know a guy, Chip. Pretty soon we were handing, we were handing out Chip's business cards. Next thing I know, I called Chip to wash our house. And guess what he said? 
it's going to take about two months to get to you. I am slap full. Everyone was using CHIP because everyone had had such a good experience and they were telling their neighbors about it. My brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and me. When we realize the gift that we have been given in this relationship with Jesus Christ and the love of God that is poured out for us, we need to tell everyone about it. Several years ago, I took a class in uh, church management over at uh, Wake Forest Divinity School. It was the first time they tried something like this. And the first day that we were there, they had someone from the marketing curriculum teaching about marketing in the church. Those of you in business, you know what marketing is. Marketing is advertising and sales. It is leaning into your, your core competencies and trying to help distinguish your organization, your business, from all the others that are like it. So I came back to the church meeting that night, and uh, one of the lay leaders asked me what I'd been doing, and I told him, and he, I said, I really took this fascinating class on marketing in the church. He goes, the church doesn't need to do any marketing. And I said, well, actually, we already do. It's called evangelism. See, that's the great thing about it is sometimes what we find in the church and in the business world, we use the same terms, we just, or we have the same ideas, we use different terms. Evangelism is about telling people about our relationship with God, about what God has done for us, and how when we come in this place, we are equipped to grow deeper in our faith. So yes, sometimes through our communications office, we do marketing where we, we look at advertising campaigns where we're sending out information maybe about what's happening in the high holy seasons. But each of us is responsible for evangelism, to teach about this relationship with Christ and what Christ has done for us and how we can come together to grow together in this place. Sometimes we do that simply by echoing what we see on social media. When we see something that's happening on the church Facebook page, to like it and then to repost it. But other times it's really to tell the story. See, each of you has a story to tell. Many of you have told me your stories over the years about how this church had come to you, how you came to this church in an important part of your life and making it made a difference in you and the way how you raised your kids, how you found new ways to serve as you enter new chapters in life. See, it's important for us to share about our relationship with Christ. So I hope today before you leave this place in the quiet of worship, in those moments where we have those quiet spaces, think of that person around you in life, whether it's in your family, in your neighborhood, at work, someone that you see that needs this relationship with Christ, that needs to know that they are loved deeply from the time they were born right up to today. So you might say to me, well, if we're to tell everyone this, that's really hard to do. That's, that's kind of uncomfortable. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you, the way we do it, I think best, is by the way we live our lives. And we show people what that means by the way we live our lives until they ask us a question. And when they start that question, now they're ready to hear it from us. Several years ago, the United Methodist Church had a marketing campaign 
called Open Hearts, Open Minds, Open Doors, the people of the United Methodist Church. It was sort of a way for the denomination to tell the world that we are the kind of place that you can walk in the door with questions and there's no judgment because we serve a God who allows us to ask the hard questions, the confusing questions, and helps us sort them out. We're the kind of place that you can come in no matter from what walk of life, and you're going to be loved for just who you are because that's how we are. Love for just who we are. None of our roads are the same. Some of them are easy and smooth. Some of them are bumpy. Some of us crash and burn and have to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. But this is the place that we can do that. This is the place that there is every day something for every one of us. See, we've got this great story to tell. We are not perfect. We, too, seek a relationship with Christ because God loves us. And we are called to love the world. And shall we show that love by the way we live each day, the kindness that we give, the words that we use with and about each other? Make no mistake, not just the words that we say to each other face to face, but the way we talk about each other when we are not present with each other. The world listens to that. The way we act in public and in private. Even when we think no one is watching, God is watching. And if we live that way, then the world takes note of that love and they want to have a part of it. It's the easiest way for us to tell the world how God loves them. So my brothers and sisters, today, in just a few minutes, we come to the table. We receive the bread and the wine, the body and the blood symbols of Christ's love and sacrifice for us. But we come to the table acknowledging our desire for a personal relationship with Christ, that it really matters to us, that God's love is very personal for us as individuals. We come to the table celebrating the meal of the kingdom for all the world, that at the table of Christ... We are all equal, all level, from whatever walk of life we come from, that it's a gift given to us. But we go forth from the table this day. We go forth from the table to show the God's love to the world, inviting others to join us here in this place, inviting others to join us at the table so that they too can have that personal relationship with Christ and can experience His love that on their knees, figuratively or literally at the altar, they can hear God say to them, can we begin now? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.